We're going to be looking in Matthew, uh, the, the passage that Paul read for us. Dave and the boys are playing at 5 o'clock tonight. If you want to hear some good music, 5 o'clock tonight. Um, and yes, I'd like to reiterate, we have a very, very good uh, working text alert system here at the church. <clears throat> the important information gets passed along through text messages. If you're not on it, uh, please write down your name and your phone number that you would like to get texts to and give it to somebody. Uh, and one of the deacons or one of the elders, and we'll make sure that you get on that list. And uh, those, are, those are very, very helpful ways of us getting uh, information out to people quickly. So you're, you're more than welcome to be on that list. Whether you're a member or not, we'll, we'll get you on that list. Uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would please be with us, and we pray that your grace and power would be at work in our lives, that this message would be a demonstration of your spirit and of power, and that you would come in our midst and teach us and be with us and help us, Father. We, we see in this text um, something, once again, that we continually ourselves wrestle with, and we pray, Father, that you would help us and give us a vision for more and for better and for change and for growth and for grace. Help us, we pray now, we ask. Help us to have tender hearts and open hearts and willing hearts and teachable hearts. And help us, we pray, Father, to have determined hearts and wills to live for you in this life that you have given us to live for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have an absolutely wonderful Savior who is our shepherd. And you'll see the title of the, the kind of long title of the sermon today in your bulletin, uh, A Wonderful Savior But Frustrating Sheep. And I actually should have put A Wonderful Shepherd But Frustrating Sheep. Uh, and then Getting Beyond Little Faith to Great Faith. And that's pretty much the outline of where we're going today. We're going to look at Jesus and we're going to look at him as this absolutely wonderful shepherd and savior. And you're going to see him in this text. And then we're going to look at these frustrating sheep. And uh, with little faith, they're slow in the uptake. They, they fall into disappointing patterns. And then we're going to go back and look at this wonderful Savior, once again, and shepherd, who is the answer to their need and their problem. And so let's begin in this text by just looking at Jesus's power and this foretaste of heaven. And what I'd like you to do in these next uh, three verses here is I'd like us to really use our imagination, really use your imagination and try to enter in and, 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 and get a sense of what it would be like to be at that moment, at that time. Listen to what is being said here. This is amazing stuff. It, th these are one of the passages that we kind of read too quickly over. It says, Jesus departed from there. I'm at 1529. Jesus departed from there and skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him. Now notice great multitudes. That's actually in the plural. It doesn't say a great multitude. It says great multitudes. In other words, groups of people are starting to show up in big bands of people when they know that Jesus is up there. And it says, um, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. 
So there's a lot of desperately sick people there, a lot of them, okay? People are, are guiding blind people uh, to, to, to see Jesus here. People are carrying people who are lame, who can't walk. People who are mute and can't speak. People who are maimed. Somehow they got in an accident, and they may be losing fingers. They may be losing hands. They may be losing feet. Uh, they may be just twisted and mangled and broken without any kind of orthopedic surgery and such. And then notice what it says. And they laid them down at Jesus's feet. And it's a very interesting word here. It actually means to throw something down, to, to do something in a hurry. And you almost get a sense that there's so many people and there's so many sick people lining up and people are bringing their, their sick from miles around that people are sort of hurrying them and, and getting them at Jesus' feet for Jesus to act. And Jesus does act. Notice what it says, and he healed them. And so, again, picture this in your mind. Jesus healed each one of them. And go back in your mind to think about any healings that Jesus did in the scriptures that you've read about. Maybe healing blind people or healing leper, leprous people and such. And notice how he takes time with each one. He would take time with each one. He would talk with them. He would, he would encourage their faith and he would heal them. And then there would just be this miraculous moment when they, when they were healed. And Jesus is doing that over and over and over and over and over again for actually what we're going to see for up to three days. Then look at verse 30. And it, let verse 30 capture your imagination. Then great, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 31. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorify the God of Israel. Can you imagine what that was like? I just can't imagine it. All of those people in extreme joy. Like if you were blind your whole life and somebody led you to Jesus and you stood in front of Jesus and he asked you, you know, do you believe I could heal you? Yeah, I believe you can. And, and all of a sudden you... What would be the first thing they would say? They would scream it out with joy. I can see. I can see. Can you imagine mute people who can't speak? Suddenly their voices have been freed and they can speak. I can speak. I can speak. Now they can communicate. They can share. They can sing praise. They can give praise to God. Lame people brought on stretchers who for years and years and years could not walk are suddenly walking and dancing around. So you've got all these people, I can see, I can see, I can speak, I can speak, look at me, look at me, I can walk, I can walk. Hundreds of them, thousands of them, there are literally 4,000 men here, we're going to find out, and that doesn't count women and children. So there could be 12,000 people here, 15,000 people here, and all of these people, and many of them had come here to bring, and so this this. It's this absolutely joyful occasion here. It, it went from feeling like a, an emergency room or a rehab center with all the dreariness and difficulty and struggle of suffering, and it, and it now seems like almost a, a wedding reception or a family reunion, and everybody is so happy, and they're there with Jesus, and the text doesn't say this, but in every other gathering like this, this involves uh, uh, God, uh, Jesus doing some teaching. There's, it's just a wonderful time to get together. So then in verse 32, uh, we're going to look at verse 32 to 39, and you can really, there's two things that are going to come out. Number one, Jesus' compassion, and number two, 
the disciples' short-term memory problem, okay? And you're going to see both of those in this text, all right? So here, now notice what happens in verse 32. Now, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have, not, they have continued with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Now, I don't know about you, but if you, if uh, I'm, I don't know like what your jobs may have been in your life or your job is now in your life, but if you have a job where you're working with the public or you have a job where you're in ministry and, and such and, and you're giving and giving and giving and giving and giving to a, gr a group of people and you're doing that, doing that, uh, and, and you don't get any break. It's been three days. They haven't like Jesus says, okay, I'm punching out. I've been doing this for eight hours. I'm going to go over there in my tent and, and uh, watch a couple of videos. And that's not happening. This, this is going on for three full days. Jesus has to be exhausted. And quite frankly, at some point, it's like, I just need a break from this. I, I just need a break. He might even be feeling that, but that's not his primary feeling. His primary feeling is compassion for these people because he realizes they've been there for three days. Any food that they've brought has been eaten up. Uh, this whole great, vast multitude of people. By the way, this is about four times the size of Greenville, okay? This, this group of people out on this mountaintop and, and such like that. And, and, and here they are. And Jesus says, I have compassion for these people because they don't, they, they don't have any food left over. And now they're going to they're gonna leave. And I'm afraid that, that, that they're going to be so weak from not eating that they're going to faint along the way. I, I, I feel for these people. I have compassion for these people. And I have a feeling the disciples are like, I'm kind of sick of these people. Like, this has been long. Like, we need a break. Like, I'm a fisherman. I'm used to being out in the sea by myself and everything. And I'm getting a little hungry. You know, and here's Jesus saying, I have compassion for these people. I love these. He's teaching them how to be shepherds, and they are going to be the shepherds of the church. They're going to be the apostles. He's teaching them how to be shepherds. But notice what he's also doing here. I think Jesus at this point is dropping a major hint, all right? I think he's dropping a major hint. Do you ever have to hint something? You want somebody to get something, but they're just not getting it. It's like, come on, get this, get this, come on. I'll give you another hint. Let me give you another. I think Jesus is dropping a hint because notice the scene here. There's 4,000 men plus women plus children. They're hungry. Jesus is concerned about that. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Put the piece together. Come on. Come on. What, 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 you, what are you supposed to say now? And notice how short-term memory loss they, problem they have. Verse 33, then his disciples said to him, where can we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Dear friends, it was only a chapter and a half ago that he's already fed 5,000. So now here's with the 4,000. And it's like Jesus wants to go like this, you know. <laughs> can you guys not get this, you know. And that, so then he gives them another hint. He gives them another hint. Why? He's a very patient, loving Savior. Okay, he's very compassionate and patient with his disciples as well. He gives them another hint. Verse 34, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? See, he didn't say, go get the bread. I'm going to feed him again. What's the matter with you? I just did this. He actually gives them another hint. How many loaves do we have? It's like, come on, guys, come on, guys. See, what they were supposed to do at that point is now they were supposed to hit their foreheads and say, oh, that's right. It doesn't matter what we got. We got you, Jesus, here. We're fine. Hey, guys, remember, it was just a couple months ago. Remember? No, they didn't do that. They just give them a number. 
They said seven and a few small, a few little fish. So they didn't get it. So then Jesus commands the multitude. And now from verse 35, it's exactly like what happened just a, a chapter and a half ago. So Jesus commanded the multitude to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave them to the multitude. And so they all ate and were filled. So about 12 to 15,000 people ate all the bread and fish that they, they were filled. In fact, they were so filled that there were fragments of bread left over. And so it says they took up seven. And, and the New King James, it was very, very accurate here because the Greek is very specific here. Seven large baskets full. You see, when the 12 baskets the last time were picked up, they were the small hand baskets <clears throat> that people give. But very few English Bibles picked up on this, and the New King James did. There were seven large baskets full of fragments. These are big bushel-type baskets that were left. That's important because Jesus is going to talk about this in a few minutes. Now, those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children, and he sent away the multitude got into a boat and came to the region of Magdala. So here we got Jesus moving again. So that section, uh, we see Jesus' compassion and the disciples' short memory loss. Now we have uh, another section, and we could in, in, entitle this one, There Back, and, uh, or Here We Go Again. And that is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Look at verse 16. <clears throat> I'm sorry, chapter 16. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came testing him and asked him that, what, that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now, you have to realize the Pharisees and Sadducees don't like each other at all. They're actually political rivals. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. They're like the, uh, the Pharisees, they're like the Democrats and Republicans are in our generation. But worse, they have religion behind them as well. That intensifies things. But the Pharisees and Sadducees actually come together here uh, for the purpose of testing, putting Jesus to the test. So they're going to test him and they say, we would like to see a sign from heaven. We would like you to send us a sign down from heaven. Now, what they're looking for is a miraculous sign from heaven. A meteor shower would be work, would good, do good, or just something shooting across the sky, darken the sun if you want to do that. Uh, give us some kind of really powerful sign. And this is this is their way of saying to prove whether you're the real deal or not. Now, this continues on uh, throughout the history of the church. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, Paul writes that even in his preaching, he said this, 1 Corinthians 1.22, the Jews seek a sign, request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. We don't give out signs. We don't give out signs on demand. We're not magicians here. This is, this is not what we do, even though the apostle that wrote that uh, certainly had miracles in his ministry at, at times. So Jesus' response is very interesting, okay? <clears throat> he says this, look at verse 2. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. So here you're good at looking at the meteorological signs and determining what's... You're aware of the signs of what's going on in, in, in the morning sun and in the clouds. And then he calls them for the second time hypocrites. He says, hypocrites, 
You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. So you're good at, at determining some signs, but you're totally blind of the signs of the times, of what is going on, of what's happening around you right now. You had John the Baptist preaching and such like that, and you opposed him. You have me coming, and you know that I perform miracles. You've seen the crowds. You've seen what's going on here. You, you, you've, see, you've heard all of the reports, and yet you can't pick up on any of this. You don't get it. By the way, we run into this today. In my lifetime, I have had many people say to me, Pastor, I won't believe in any of this unless God gives me a sign. And, I'm, and I say to them, I've become more straightforward with this anymore. I used, to, I used to be nicer to people than I am now, I guess, with this stuff. <clears throat> but it just I get to the point where I say, why would God give you a sign? I say, look around. Look around, look at those trees. Look at that butterfly. Look at those deer. Look at this field full of corn to feed people. Look at the sun. Look at the clouds. Look at the blue sky. Look at your look at your body. Look at there's signs all around you that God exists. And you think God's gonna kowtow down to you and give you your own personal little sign? You're not even reading the signs that he's given you. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There's signs going on all around you. You're not reading them. So notice look, verse four. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And he just said this in chapter 12. And there he said, Jonah, three days, three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be in the Son of Earth, in the, in the earth. And then he left and he departed from them. So I think this is a recounting. These, these experiences kept happening over and over for Jesus. And then notice the next section. This I would entitle, Slow on the Uptake Again. Notice again the disciples. This is, this is almost unbelievably, it's almost funny. Now, when the disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have no bread. Let me pause here. A lot of times people criticize and question the Bible, and they'll say, oh, look, the Bible contradicts itself, or oh, look, this, how can you claim this to be the word of God, or oh, this and that. There's a genuineness about the Bible here that actually, to me, bolsters my faith in it. First of all, notice we have two stories written by the same, and they're actually true in all the Gospels, two stories of food and crowds being fed by bread. Now, some of the details are different, but two stories. It's not like they're repeating themselves or anything. These actually, some of these miracles actually happen. There's a big debate in, in scriptural study as to when Jesus cleared the temple. In Mark, he clears the temple very early on in his ministry. In, uh, I'm sorry, in John. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he clears it very late. But the answer to me is very simple. He's cleared it more than once. And the same thing is true here. He's fed the multitude more than once. But the second thing is, is this, how honest and straightforward this disciple, Matthew, is showing their downright foolishness. He's, 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 he's not afraid to say that. The, the guys, we were dim-witted back then. And, and there's an honesty about this. So they reason with themselves, it is because we have no bread. <gasps> he's mentioning this. He's upset that we don't have any bread. Now, Jesus, once again, this one is slap your forehead moments. Jesus said, being, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, 
Why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? We took up more the next time. How is it that you do not understand that I do, did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, they got it. They got it. They finally figured this out. You see, dear friends, they notice how he calls them little faith. They have little faith. Now, I think we can learn something about little faith from this text. Number one, little faith tends to focus on the small picture and miss the big picture. I think we see that in here. Think of, think of Martha and Mary and how Martha was, what was Martha focused on? She was focused on getting the dishes done, getting the meal made, getting the food on the table. What was Mary focused on? She was focused on Jesus is in the living room. I'm not going to, you know, let's, 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 uh, let's, uh, call, let's call a, deli a pizza delivery, but let Jesus is in the living room. Let's just sit here and take all that we can from him. And that's what little faith and, and, and great faith, the difference. Little faith might be big on practicality. Like these guys suddenly got real big on practicality. Verse 33, where can we get enough bread? All of a sudden they start thinking. All of a sudden start overthinking the whole situation. You see, you, see you, you sit here and you watch this and you say, these disciples should have said, no problem, guys. Oh, I get what he's saying, no problem. If one disciple would have said, oh, Jesus had compassion on this multitude. He, you know, he wants us to feed him, but we can't feed him, remember? But he can, so we got Jesus. We don't have to worry about it. Instead, little faith goes, oh, 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 where's the bread? Where's the bread? How much bread do we got? One, two, three, four, five. We got seven loaves, two fish. What, do, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, we've got these. There's not enough. We can send these people away. Little faith just overthinks all of the little details and says, saying, wait a minute. We got Jesus. We don't have any problem. He fed all the people. We're fine. It'll be great. Don't worry about it. And see what Jesus says, and, and, and notice also here that little faith, notice he calls them little faith. Little faith makes us forgetful. Little faith makes us forgetful. See, Jesus expected them to learn from the past. He expected them to get it. Look at, listen to these words in verse, look at verse eight. Oh, you have little faith. Why are you talking about bread? Look at verse nine. Do you not yet understand or remember, why aren't you grasping this? Why aren't you making the connections? Take heed. Notice what he says in verse 6. Take heed and beware. Get your eyes open. Look at what's going on around you. Beware of the leaven of Pharisees. And then they start reasoning. And then he says, oh, you little faith, don't you get it? Don't you understand? Aren't you making the connections? And we're called to do that. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Look at that verse. We must give earnest heed. We must be earnest, and we must pay attention, and we must take heed. This is the same uh, language that Jesus is using. To the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. When you, God teaches you something, and you learn something, and God gives you some truth, and he gives you some grace, hold on to it. Understand it. Grasp it. Learn from it. Don't lose it, or else you're going to drift away. And this is what Jesus is saying to these disciples here. He's saying, guys, you need to start making these connections. 
You need to start believing this stuff. You need to start grabbing onto this stuff and moving forward. And finally, I would say this. Little faith makes us silly. Little faith makes us foolish. Honestly, when you read this text, these disciples come off as foolish, silly. And that's what it does. They should have responded. You know, these guys forgot to bring bread. Now, that was kind of probably kind of, they, they, that, that, that was kind of stupid, okay? They, they know that. Um, Jan and I were uh, taking a desk up to Stevie, and so we pulled the drawers out of the desk, and it was going to rain, and it was going to be in the back of my truck, so we borrowed a tarp from Dan, and we got the desk on the truck, got it all wrapped up. I bungeed it down so that we could get this wooden desk through a rainstorm up to Erie. And so Todd and Jan, desk delivery people, jump in the truck, and we head up to Erie. About five minutes from Steve's house, we say, we forgot the drawers. <laughs> we forgot the drawers. Steve still doesn't have the drawers. They're still at our house. And the disciples, they're getting all the camping gear in the boat because Jesus is, Jesus is taking off. He's, he's going up to a different location. They're getting the camping gear in the boat. And I can envision them taking seven big baskets of bread and putting them there. And then they head out. And there on the deck, on the dock, is the seven baskets of bread while they're just floating away, thinking about all kinds of other stuff. And then it dawns on them that they forgot bread. Then Jesus starts talking about leaven, and then they start just being absolutely foolish and, uh, and, and talking about this, this thing. And, oh, where are we going to get bread? Where are we going to get about bread? Jesus is upset about bread. Jesus isn't upset about bread. Jesus could care less about the bread. Jesus can make so much bread, they don't know what to do with. And that's the thing. It, their little faith has made them foolish. Now, now that we've beat up the disciples enough, let's look at ourselves. Don't we tend to do this very thing? Don't we tend to have little faith that just runs out so quickly and all of a sudden we're in the same situation that we've been in before because God has a way of putting us in situations over and over and over again as so, because we're supposed to be growing through each one of them. We're supposed to be learning from each one of them. We're supposed to be experiencing God from each one of them. And because of that, then our faith is supposed to grow and grow and grow. And that's what's happening here. We have this huge multitude. They're hungry. We don't know what to do. Jesus says, I'll show you what to do. Here, let's th he thanks God for the food. He passes it out and then eat. And then they come in, in a month or two later, the exact same situation. And what they were supposed to do was grow from that one. They were supposed to grow and grow and grow. Jesus, they, they, these guys are in, in the water and there's a storm. And Jesus wakes up and calls the storm. They said, well, who is this guy? They're in the water again. Jesus is walking on water. And, and, and they're, they're, they're all you know, amazed by them, freaked out by that whole thing as well. And they're going through these experiences. Their faith is supposed to grow and grow and grow. But their faith doesn't grow. And that's why he keeps, he keeps telling them, listen, your faith has got to be growing. You should be growing. And you and I, I think, we need, to, we need to challenge ourselves. We need to be challenging ourselves. We need to be raising the expectations for ourselves. We all do. I do. You do. We all do. Listen, listen to, how the, to the, how the apostles spoke to their people. Basically by saying, you know, by now you ought to be this. By now you ought to have grown. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, the writer to Hebrews writes this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first 
principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. See, by now they should be on solid food, but they're still drinking milk. For everyone who take, partakes only milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age or mature. And that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Again, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says this, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, but you are not, for you are not ready for solid food. In fact, you are still not ready. And notice what they're trying to do. They're trying to push the believers on. They're trying to push them to greater faith. They're trying to push them to greater maturity. They're trying to push them to grow. And, and what I'm saying to, to us, dear friends, if we're listening to the Bible here, what God is saying to us is this, I expect more from you. I expect you to grow. I expect you to take these lessons that I give you and advance from them grow from them. I expect these challenges that I send you, these trials that I send you, and as I deliver you and as you work through them, I expect you to grow from them. You know, occasionally, I, I'm not a real journal person. I don't write stuff down a lot. I'm not that kind of person. I wish I was more of that. My wife is wonderful at it. But occasionally, we've done prayer journals, especially for family devotions, and we'll write down what we're praying for as a family. And then what is always amazing, though, about a prayer journal is you go back six months. You go, you go, you go, six months afterward, you go back and you read the prayers that you had in this prayer journal because you forget them. And you read those prayers, those things that you were praying for, and lo and behold, every single one of them, you now, six months or a year later, you now look and you see how God delivered, how God answered, how God worked, how God provided, how God saw you through. And it's really, really an encouraging thing. It's an encouraging thing. And what happens is, is that you, you recognize that, that every trial that you went through. Now, think of, think of yourself. Think of every trial that you've been through in your life. Think of all the difficulties that you faced in your life, all of the fears that gripped you in your life, all of the anxieties that you struggled with. Think of surgeries you went through or financial crises or relationship struggles or persecution for your faith or fierce temptation to do wrong. All the hurt that you felt. And during, through each of those trials, what happened? Well, if you're the average Christian Joe, like I am, and we all probably are, we prayed and we panicked. We prayed and we tried to apply the promises of God and we prayed and we panicked and we asked others to pray for you and they prayed and we panicked and then God saw us through. <laughs> God was faithful. God kept his promises. We made it. God helped. God delivered. And that whole process is supposed to be a learning process, a growing process, a faith-increasing process. We're supposed to be learning from our lessons. Jesus said, take heed, take heed, learn, grow, keep, understand, understand. And he's expecting that from them. And dear friends, he should be expecting it from us, from us. Let me encourage you to think about something. Little faith overthinks things and fusses too much. I know this, not because I'm a pastor and I see it in other people. I know this because I'm a Christian, I see it in me. Little faith 
overthinks things, almost overplans. Now, there's a, certainly a place for planning. The Bible speaks that there's a certain place for planning, planning ahead and things like that. There is a place for that. But, but, and that's not little faith, but if you do that and you have little faith, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to overthink, overthink, overplan, overplan, overfuss, overfuss, overworry, overworry. And you're not trusting God. Where do we get bread? How many baskets do we have? How are we going to feed these people? What, how, what's two fish going to do? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? That wasn't what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to say, Jesus, we have a problem. You are almighty. You are God. You can handle this. So just tell us what to do, and we'll do it. We're leaving the problem of how to feed 12,000 people right now with seven loaves and two fish. We're leaving that to you. We're just going to sit here. We're going to wait for you to tell us what to do, and we'll do exactly what you tell us to do. Fully confident, you got this. Fully confident, this is nothing for you. We don't even have to keep keep overplaying this in our mind. We don't have to lay in bed at night just do, 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 thinking crazy. We don't have to get ourselves anxious. This is you, this is you, this is what you got. That's what great faith does. Great faith says, oh, wait, let, let me think, oh, wait. Oh, yeah, this is a concern for me. Oh, wait, let me think about this. Yeah, this is a concern. What's my responsibility? Okay, okay, now what do I do? You know, you know what I've, I've had to do in my life, and I've been trying to get better and better at this, is stop overthinking things and just give them to God. Trusting and knowing that he's God. Hey, God, I, I've got this problem here. I've got this problem, and, and I, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to work it out. What my Tell me what my responsibility is. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do. But in the meantime, here, it's yours. Take it. You said cast my cares upon you. Here you go. Take this one. And in fact, I'm not taking it back because if I take it back, then that means I don't trust you. I'm going to trust you. And Lord, when I find myself taking it back and de -de 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 start thinking again, start, start trying to think of this, these little spindly arms to really win this battle. Oh, God, I'm, I'm being a fool again here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's yours. I promised you this was yours. This was on me. And I promised you that I would trust you and I'm going to trust you and I'm not going to do this. Ah, that's taken care of. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to have the peace that passes understanding. And you're going to have joy. And you're going to actually enjoy life. Say, imagine you're on this boat in the Sea of Galilee, which is a really nice place. And you're on this boat, and the sun's shining, the water's so beautiful. We forgot bread. We left the bread back on the dock. We're going to Jesus. He, so far, I got the numbers down. So far, we've seen him feed about 27,000 people in these two feedings. I don't think bread's our problem. I think we can trust Jesus on this one. Look at that sun. Let's sing. Let's praise God. Let's have a good trip. Jesus will take care of the bread. Dear friends, I think that's how we're supposed to live our lives. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. Trusting, resting, not being people of little faith, being people of great faith. You know, I really, really, really am worried about something. This is an act of little faith. This is just, I'm really worried about something. And this is, and this is just, this is my own personal thing. You can pray for me on this. I'm seriously worried, and I have been for 40 some years, that I'm gonna stand before God and two things are going to happen at once. Number one, I'm going to look at how huge and powerful 
and good and he is and how much he loves me. And the thought is going to just immediately burn into my head. What in the world did I ever worry about anything for? And at the same time, he's going to say to me, Todd, why'd you worry so much? Oh, you of little faith. I, I don't, that's called judgment day honesty. That's called getting ready for judgment day. I'm getting ready to stand before God. And I'm, I'm trying real hard in my life to be able to stand before God and have him say, like he said to the centurion and to the Cypher-Phoenician woman, he will marvel at my great faith. Dear ones, let's you and I, let's you and I be those kind of people. Let's you and I be the kind of people who look at seven little loaves of bread and a few fish and 12,000 people and say, hey, hey, Fish and chips tonight. For all of us, this will be great. Why? Jesus is here. Dear friends, Jesus is in your life. Jesus loves you. He's your shepherd. He has compassion on you. He cares for you. He's even patient when you overthink things and get yourself in a tizzy and start worrying and lose sleep when you're supposed to be trusting him. He still has compassion on you. He still loves you. He's still patient with you. He doesn't do this with you. He doesn't do this. He's compassionate. And he wants us to grow. And he wants us to trust him. And he wants us to rest in him. And he'll give you the power and the strength and the grace. See, again, you're sitting here thinking, how do I get this faith? How do, how do I? I'm such a little, I'm such a worrier. I'm so filled with anxiety. I am such this. How, how, how? Again, you're just looking at, you're, you're, you're forgetting Jesus is on board. You're forgetting Jesus is here. And you just say, Lord Jesus, help me. I want to be this. I want to be this. I want to be every, I want to grow from every single trial. I want to go cruise through trials trusting in you. I want to be full of faith, full of joy. I want to glorify you. But you're going to have to help me. Help me. I do believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. Help me. Give me grace. And I'm not going to whine about this. I'm going to actually trust you. Because I believe you are compassionate. I believe you are good. I believe you are who you claim to be. I believe you are my strength. And I believe that I can do everything, anything, all things through you. I'm going to trust you on this. I'm going to thank you right now. Thank you. Thank you that you're going to help me to grow in grace in this way. Dear ones, that's, that's, that's what our life's to be. That's what your life's to be tomorrow. My life's to be tomorrow. On Tuesday and Wednesday, that's what our lives are to be. May God give us grace. And if you've never known salvation, you've never known Christ, it's the same prayer. Lord Jesus, you offer to save sinners. Lord Jesus, you offer to give eternal life. Lord Jesus, you offer, you offer yourself as the Savior of the world. I'm coming to you. I trust you. I thank you. I embrace you as my Savior. And eternal life will be yours. It's all that easy because he's so great. He's so great. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are in our lives, that we are not walking through life alone. We do pity. We truly pity with genuine compassion those who are our friends and our neighbors, 
our loved ones who are trying and attempting to go through life without you. Oh, Father, save them, we pray. Bring them eternal life. Show them your son. But, Father, for those of us whom you have saved, you've given us the Savior. He's in the boat with us. He's on the shore with us. He's able to do all things. Please help us, we pray. Help us to go from little faith to great faith. Give us grace. Give us power, Lord Jesus. Be to us what you've promised and claimed that you will be. The challenge, Father, I pray that, that we are facing today, that each one of the folks who are here and listening in are facing today, whether it is illness, whether it's COVID itself, whether it's just financial struggles or relationship difficulties or that straying child or that upcoming surgery or just fear and anxiety from just the world that we live in. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us to stop worrying, to stop overthinking, to stop automatically turning to our own power and help us to trust you to trust you, to not worry about bread because we have you. Help us, we pray, for your glory. In your precious name we pray, amen.